You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. Go to riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here is today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Tyen. All right, so in the time that we have, I wanted to talk about, because it came up in the passage in James chapter 2, every now and then we're going through the book of James, so we're going to go through James chapter 2 for a few weeks. The short-sightedness of prejudice and favoritism. Prejudice and favoritism in the church is not to be. We are to take people when they walk in the door and show them care and love and not size them up. Every one of us size people up when we see them. So when you're walking along, you see somebody and you try to guess, you know, oh, where are they from? Uh, How much do they make? Do they look like safe people? Uh, would I like that person to be my friend? Would they reject me? That kind of stuff. Everybody is sized up. And um, me, I get sized up, but they might not actually get the right impression of me because of life changes that I've been a victim to. For instance, I may look very conservative, maybe even military, but it's not my fault. My hair it chose me. I didn't choose the short haircut. It just kind of disappeared and I didn't want to be the comb over guy. So this is who I am now. But when I was a kid, I wouldn't have been, you know, crew cut Bob or bald Bill or whatever, you know. So because I do not have long flowing blonde hair anymore, in my head, maybe that's who I'd like to be, but it's not happening. So if you size me up, you might get me wrong. People walk through the doors of the church, new people, and sometimes they look rich. Sometimes they look poor. Unfortunately, some people in the church want to run off to the people that look rich. Oh, I'd like you to be my friend. Oh, maybe I could, ins- I could sell you some of what I have in my business or you know, make that connection. Or you're, Oh, you're famous, so I want to connect with you. And a poor person or maybe even a homeless person might walk in and you might say, well, you know, you can sit in the back or, you know, we got some really nice, if we had, nice padded furniture. You're kind of dirty. Why don't you sit on the floor? And that's exactly what was happening in James. And this isn't supposed to be that way. A funny thing about people's appearance is sometimes you can be tricked. For instance, there are poor people or people that look poor that aren't poor that might just be doing something uh, or um, chose not to dress up or chose not to get the nicest car. So, Um, Over by Lake Minnetonka, there was an optical shop, and this is when I was in the optical industry, sharing optical stories about eyeglasses and eyeglass lenses, and there's a, if you buy expensive frames, buy expensive lenses, it can be lots of money. Uh, Optical shops can make lots of money. So this lady walks into the optical shop, and she looks pretty dirty. I mean, her jeans are dirty. She just, you know, she looks like she just came off the farm. And so she's in this expensive optical shop and she's looking around and one of the opticians didn't want to have anything to do with her because, hey, obviously that woman can't afford what we got going on here because, you know, she looks really poor. So this woman looks around, she picks out some really expensive frames, she tries them on. This one optician lady is like, whatever, she's here, I'm going to serve her. Other optician lady is like, you're just wasting your time. So the comes down to the, the time for the sale and the lady's like, I'll take these frames and these lenses and I'll take these sunglasses and big sale. Lady paid cash, had tons of money. She had just gotten off of, or just gotten, uh, taken a break from riding her horses and uh, decided to stop into the optical shop. So one lady made a commission and did really good because she didn't size up that person and say, oh, you don't have any value. You're not, you don't matter because, you know, you're not from around here. You don't fit. So in the church, we need to do that same thing. We need to think about 
the way that God sees people and what people can be. So the short-sightedness of prejudice and favoritism is somebody could be in a lowly state. They could be an addict. They could be troubled. They could be, uh, in, they could be doing stuff we don't approve of. And if we don't see what God could do in their future, we may totally miss out. So I was reading this article. Uh, Russell Moore recounts a memorable conversation with the evangelical theologian Carl F. Henry. As Moore and some of his friends were lamenting the miserable shape of the church, they asked Dr. Henry if he saw any hope in the coming generation of evangelicals. Dr. Henry replied, Of course, there is hope for the next generation of evangelicals. But the leaders of the next generation might not be coming from the current evangelical establishment. They're probably still pagans. Who knew that Saul of Tarsus was to be the great apostle to the Gentiles? Who knew that God would raise up a C.S. Lewis or a Charles Colson? They were unbelievers who, once saved by the grace of God, were mighty warriors for the faith. Russell Moore added, The next Jonathan Edwards might be the man driving in front of you with the Darwin Fish bumper decal. The next Charles Wesley might be a profanity-spewing hip-hop artist right now. The next Billy Graham might be passed out drunk in a fraternity house right now. The next Charles Spurgeon might be making posters for a gay pride march right now. The next Mother Teresa might be managing an abortion clinic right now. And so if we look at people and size them up for who they are today, we're missing out on what God could do in their lives, how God could change them, how God could totally transform them. Sometimes the people that are the most effective for Christ are the ones that went through the hard time. They were godless. They were sinning. They were doing all these terrible things. And then God got a hold of their heart and they know whom they have believed and what God can do for them. And then they share that with others and they are able to make a huge difference for Christ. Totally committed, totally sold out because they know what they used to be and they know who they are in Christ now and they know that Christ can change people's lives. So in James chapter 2, Number one, see that Christ followers don't size people up. So we shouldn't size people that come into the church up. Now, if we're choosing church leaders, you know, we should be discerning. The Bible tells us there's some uh, things we should look for in an elder and a deacon and, and church leaders and things like that. But when people are coming through the church door, when new, new people come, we shouldn't, we shouldn't judge them and decide that they're not good enough or we shouldn't, be, uh, we shouldn't have preference over somebody else. So James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? So uh, this is saying that these people are Christians already. It's you and I, and it's our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. So it's Jesus that we share. It's Jesus who is our Savior. We're the church together. This is addressed to the church. It says, for example... Suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or I'll sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? So again, there are people out there that look rich, but they are buried in payments. So maybe that Rolex isn't real. Maybe that car that they're driving is high miles or leased. Maybe the appearance that they have is totally financed and they're like that commercial that used to be on where the guy's got the house and the swimming pool and everything and he's like, somebody please help me. I'm in debt over my head. And then there are some people that appear to be poor. I guess 
a lot of rich people choose to wear the same outfit all the time uh, because it's just a way to uh, better manage life. But you sometimes can't tell um, when people appear to be humble, when people appear to not have a lot, that they might have a lot of money in the bank. I noticed this with people that went through the Great Depression. A lot of these older people didn't look like they have much, but it turns out they have like a couple million dollars stashed away just in case they need it sometime in their life. It actually, you actually figure that out sometimes when they die and realize, wait, that person had $4 million set aside? So, and then whoever is left, their heirs, get to divide it out. Or, I guess, if you are on um, public assistance for health care, I guess the state can come and take your estate if they are paying for your Medicare. So, anyway, interesting. But money is a temporary thing. Money is a tool. Money is something that can help us to serve God. So it's not saying that you shouldn't be rich, and it's not saying that you shouldn't be poor. It's saying that when new people come into the church, that we shouldn't size them up, that we shouldn't judge them, that we shouldn't say things like, oh, well, they'll probably not fit at this church, or, or look how they're dressed, or uh, look, at, look, at the, look, look at their tattoos. Oh, their tattoos. Um, I had a friend that had a tattoo that I came alongside him and I said, you know, I really care about you. I think you're a great person. I said, you know, just in love though, if I were you, I'd go back to the tattoo shop and I would get that tattoo right there. I'd get it dressed. What do you think? He said, my mother says the same thing. And I'm like, maybe it's a good message. So anyway, to think about people the way God thinks about people is huge. It's important and we need to do that. We shouldn't size people up based on the way that they look or the things that they have or they don't have. So Christ followers don't size people up. And that is for people coming into the church, people looking to get saved, people looking... A lot of people are going through a hard time and they'll show up at the church doors and they're like, oh, I'm trying to find God. Will these people help me find God? When the unwed pregnant teenager shows up, are we going to push her away or are we going to help her? What are we going to do to try to help these people find God the way that God wants us to? If we're just preferring the people that are like us, preferring the people that have resources, preferring the people that are famous or rich, then the Bible says that maybe our judgments are guided by evil motives. Maybe our motives are impure. Maybe we're thinking about, oh, wouldn't that be great for me to post a selfie with this person? Look who came to church. Hey, welcome to church. Hey, I know you're famous. Can we do a selfie? Look at me. I'm going to post that on my Instagram. So, no. Number two, see that rich people aren't more valuable to God. James 2, 5. Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? So again, this doesn't mean that it's bad to be rich, but some of these rich people were taking the poor people to court, I guess, if you saw someone on the street back then that owed you money, you could take them to court and have them thrown into jail for not paying their bills. You could charge 50% interest. You could do all these things. Rich people could really take advantage of poor people. The problem with rich people is that they're often self-sufficient. So they often don't cry out to God that God provides their need. They don't see their need to be saved. They don't see their need to have a personal relationship with the Lord because they've got it all. I've got so much money, I'll buy whatever I want. If I've got a problem, I'll pay somebody to take care of it. 
Poor people, they don't have anything else but the Lord. They pray for their daily needs. They pray for their daily bread. They pray for provision. They pray for work. They see God answer. And their faith might be deeper because of God in their life answering prayer. Maybe that paycheck-to-paycheck existence is more uh, effective in your life than if you won the lottery and had tons of money. So rich people aren't more valuable to God. And also, some of these rich people would uh, you know, have financial means to hire lawyers to uh, drag them into court or to dishonor uh, Christians uh, by saying... Actually, the word Christian, the term Christian, was at first a derogatory term. So in that culture, it wasn't a cool thing to be called a Christian. It was more of a, you're a Christian. So uh, now it's awesome. I'm a Christian. Hopefully you're a Christian. Number three, see that God is not pleased with favoritism. God is not pleased with favoritism, James 2.8. Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal laws found in the Scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself, but if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. The person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. Now, if you read the Romans, it says that as New Testament Christians, we're not necessarily under the whole list of the law in the New Testament, but we are under the law of, Jesus says, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. When you look back on the Old Testament and you see that all those, whatever, 600 and some laws, you look at all that and you can ask yourself, okay, if I do this, am I going to be loving God or loving my neighbor as myself? There's some of those laws in the Old Testament that say, like, don't mix two kinds of fabric. I don't really see why that matters to God. It must have mattered back then. doesn't matter now. Um, some of those laws aren't helpful. Some of them are, but you can't go, well, Lord, I just didn't know because I... I couldn't get a hold of a New Test or an Old Testament. All my church hands out is these New Testaments, and it was hard for me to read it all through. Or I couldn't remember the whole list, so I didn't know you can't hold me accountable. But Jesus said, hey, all you got to remember is these two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So if so, who's your neighbor? Your neighbor is anybody who God bring, brings across your path. So it's your neighbor. It's your coworker. It's the person in your office. It's the person that you are meeting at the, you just met at the store. Um, if you start to look at people the way God sees them as interesting with a story and they come through the door and you think to yourself, oh no, look what the cat drug in. That's not godly at all. If you see people and go, wow, I wonder what their story is. I want to get to know that person. I want to hear their story. And, um, but don't walk, don't walk up to people and go, hi, I'm so-and-so, I, I just want to hear your story, because that's the sales pitch. I was on the bike trail, I'm, I'm riding my bike, I'm having a good time, and all of a sudden these two old people are like, hey, look at you go. Hey, we just love to hear your story. Oh, yeah. Well, we sell these, we're retired now, but we're doing really well because we sell these supplements. Would you like some? I'm looking at this package, this black package, and I'm thinking, this is not safe. Stranger danger, please go away. But it all started with, we want to hear your story. What a trap. I, I gave it to him too. I gave, before I learned that that is a trick, that's a hook. 
Because now that you've told us your story, of course you're going to want to hear ours. It's like, yeah. Anyway, God's not pleased with favoritism. All right? God wants us to treat people better than they deserve. God wants us to treat people with love. God wants us to see people that are messed up and doing things that we don't approve of or don't agree with or don't understand and see what they could be in Christ and be those people that share Christ with them to give them the opportunity to know that we're Christ followers and that they too can become Christ followers. Romans 6.12 says, Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. So we look at people. How can we love them? How can we show God how, how much we value Him by showing care for others? All right, number four, see that God will hold you accountable for what you do and say, James 2.12. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others, but if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. So if you're not saved, God's going to judge you based on what have you done with Jesus. And if you haven't received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you're not going to spend eternity with God. You're not spend eternity with Jesus. You'll be separated forever in eternity in a place called hell. For those of us who are believers, we're going to be judged for our works. God is going to, or Jesus is going to evaluate what we did with the resources we had and reward us according to that. He says, behold, I am coming soon and I'll reward everyone according to what they've done. So this talks about discriminating against poor people. But in our culture too, we have a problem with racism and sometimes we discriminate against people for their skin color. I went to a Bible, when I first went to a Bible college down in Tennessee, my stepmother forgot to send in my registration. So I got down there and like the guy in charge of the school, he's like, I didn't know you were coming. So we need to find a place, a room for you. And he asked me this question. Now this was 1986, maybe times have changed, but this was in the heart of Chattanooga, Tennessee. And he said, he closes the door and he said, would it be okay if I put you in a room with a black boy? And I'm like, yeah. What's, what's up with that? He didn't ask me if it would be okay if I put you in a room with an, an eccentric musician because I would have said, no, that guy is weird. No, please not. He didn't ask me if I cared that the next door neighbor kid was from Lebanon and he had seen lots of wars and talked about weird stuff. He didn't ask me about that. He didn't say, hey, can I put you in a room with a real live hillbilly? Because he was weird too. So Theodore, he was from New Guinea he was awesome. I had the top bunk, top bunk. He had the bottom bunk. There were cockroaches at this school. He would kill the cockroaches in, their, in, in his sleep before they got up the wall to me. He was a great roommate. Loved the guy. Had nothing to do with his skin color at all. And I know that people judge on skin color. So I did this at Crown College. There's this class on human diversity. And so uh, we went to a black church in Minneapolis, and it was great. Music was great. But we were sharing experiences. And weirdest thing, uh, there are certain parts of the areas where people tell you not to go. Like when I d drove a delivery van, they're like, don't go into this part of northeast Minneapolis because it's a scary place. It's, it's a dangerous place. You don't, you don't want to go there. So I would, on purpose, drive through there with the van to experience the people. Turned out they were pretty nice overall. Now, I didn't break down there in the middle of the night or whatever, and I wasn't hauling anything valuable. But this lady, this, this black lady, she's like, well, 
I lived in Minnetonka at the time. She's like, I was, I was doing this job in Minnetonka, and my car broke down, and I was on Shady Oak Road out there, and I was so terrified. I was so afraid that something bad was going to happen to me. And in my head, I'm like, you're like in the safest place ever. Nothing happens to anybody out there. And we all have these same fears. And hopefully they're not real fears. Hopefully we are safe. Uh, things have changed a little bit. But anyway, so we're always afraid of being sized up. We're afraid of what other people think of us. But I want you to see this thing on racism because I think it's important. So here's the video. I hear this one a lot. How can there be so many races in the world if we are all descendants of Adam and Eve? Well, check this out. First off, let's talk about the word race. Sometimes when people use the word, they mean supposed races of people who have evolved at different times, rates, and in different locations. That's not true. Of course, the word race is also a term we use to distinguish between groups with different physical traits, namely skin color. But are there really different races? Take a gander at Acts 17.26 where it is written that God, from one man, made every nation of men. It's clear then that the Bible teaches that there is one race, the human race. The Bible is also clear that all people on the earth are descendants of Adam and Eve who were created by God. Check Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Easy enough. God created two people in his image, male and female, and told them to increase in number. So Adam and Eve are mom and dad of the human race. Then their children had children and those children had children and so on and so forth for many generations until, according to Genesis 6, 9, the world's population was reduced to eight people who were protected inside an ark during a global flood. And those eight people later walked off the ark, and according to Genesis 9.19, from them came the people who were scattered over the earth. Oh, wait a second. What do I mean scattered? Well, jump over to Genesis 11, and let's talk about an event known as the Tower of Babel. Basically, because of the sinful actions of the descendants of Noah, the Lord confused their language and scattered them from there over all the earth. That's pretty clear and concise. Okay, so we've got lots of people who are descendants of the eight folks who came off the ark, and now they have been scattered all over the earth. That explains that we are still one race and that different groups of people ended up in different locations. But how do we get a bunch of different colored people if we are all one race? Well, follow along. This, of course, is a simplified explanation, but the basic principles are true. We all have a pigment in our bodies called melanin, which, depending on different variables, produces different shades of the one main skin color we all possess. Several genes control the amount of melanin produced and thus the variability in the skin shade. In fact, it's easy for one couple to produce a wide range of skin shade variability in just one generation, as we'll see in just a moment. Time for a quick genetics lesson. DNA is the molecule of heredity that is passed from parents to children. A child inherits 23 chromosomes from each parent. Each chromosome pair contains hundreds of genes which regulate the physical development of the child. However, to illustrate basic genetic principles pertaining to the topic, we'll just talk about two genes, the genes that control the production of melanin. So, let capital A and capital B symbolize versions of the gene that code for large amounts of melanin, while little a and little b code for small amounts. Got it? Easy. Check this out. Take a look at the upper left. Let's say dad contributes capital A, capital B genes, and mom contributes capital A, capital B genes as well. Together they will produce a child with capital A, capital A, capital B, and capital B. This is a kid with a lot of melanin, thus he will have very dark skin. Easy to see. Here's the bigger point though. Let's say dad contributes capital A, capital B, and mom contributes little a and little b. Well, the child's skin will be middle brown shade, the combination of capital A, little a, and capital B, little b, which by the way represents a majority of the world's population. Not only that, but if each parent is capital A, little a, capital B, little b, the combinations that could be produced in their children could result in a very wide range of skin shades in just one generation. So. Since Adam and Eve were the first people ever, it makes sense to conclude that God placed in them a combination of genes that could produce all different shades of skin we see. Those same combinations would be present in Noah and the seven other people who boarded the ark. 
And because God dispersed people at the Tower of Babel, he dispersed the population, thereby isolating gene pools in the different people groups. Over time, different cultures formed in different locations with certain features like skin shade becoming predominant. And here we are today. And since we all go back to Noah and his family, it makes sense that we are all different shades of brown. One race, multiple people groups, just like the Bible teaches. Simplified for sure, but enough said. All right, so as Mandisa would sing, we all bleed the same, and that we should judge people by their hearts, not the color of their skin. I think Toby Mac and DC Talk, actually DC Talk, if you remember them, they're returning uh, for concerts again. Galatians 3.26, where you are all children of God through faith in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have, been put, have put on the character of Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. So we don't understand people that aren't like us. We don't understand often people that have different skin colors, but we should because it doesn't matter what their skin color is. It matters who they are in Christ. It matters who what their heart is like. So the Christian Missionary Alliance, this is one of their statements, all people matter to God and he wants them saved. And here's a picture of all sorts of different people, all different ages, all different colors, all different walks of life. God cares about every one of them, and we should too. And we shouldn't look at, you know, who are they, what have they become, as much as how can I connect with them and help them to fulfill their purpose in Christ. That would be awesome. So let's not be those people that discriminate. Let's not have preferences. So as far as you're all concerned, you are all my favorites. Every one of you, you're my favorite. You're my... I shouldn't point because everybody, how come you didn't point at me? <laughs> and everybody that's wearing a River Rock shirt, it's really my favorite. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to live this message out. Lord, it must have been really important back then for James to write about it in the second chapter. But Lord, help us to see with your eyes. Help us not to size people up or discriminate based on uh, the way that they are, the way that they appear, but help us to see with your eyes and help us to see their potential so we won't be short-sighted and that many lost people would get saved and do amazing things for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We invite you to visit River Rock Church 10 a.m. Sundays at 330 South Market Street in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. You can connect with us, find resources to help you grow in your faith, give online to support this ministry, and share your prayer requests with us at riverrockchurch.com. May God bless you. Share Jesus with others this week.